Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 51. This is a very important passage for us to look at. It's important to uh, my own ministry because the commissioning verse for that ministry is in this um, passage. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this passage. I want to do it as an introduction to where I believe the Holy Spirit wants to take us. So we'll start from verse 12. I, and this is the Lord speaking, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and the son of a man who will be made like grass? Now, I've been preaching this passage for many years, and it's all about the oppression of wicked governments or wicked powers. And, you know, I used to preach it, and people would look at you and go, but we don't live under that kind of regime. We do now. And, you know, we always have. It's just that it's been hidden. But now the things that are hidden are coming into the open, and the Antichrist, Babylonian uh, spirit that inhabits our governments is coming into the open. So the Son of Man, who are you? that you should be afraid of a man. <clears throat> the fear of man bringeth a snare. And it says, And you forget Yahweh your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. The wine of Babylon is fear. And that's what we've been drinking. You know, you use that phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid. We've been drinking the wine of fear. Because the Bible says that the wine of Babylon makes you deranged. And I see a lot of deranged people as I look around. And sadly, many of them are in church. And when you, when you point out that, and I'm not talking about attacking these people. I'm talking about when you point out you're not afraid, yeah. they lose it with you. Yeah. Amen? Uh, and it's, it's a strange, strange thing. Anyway. You forget Yahweh, your maker, who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of. You fear continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. Did you know that that word fury can mean poison? When he has prepared to destroy, and where is the fury of the oppressor? You see, the fear virus that people are succumbing to is poisonous. Fear is poisonous to your spirit and your soul. And ultimately to your body. The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed or he may be set free. Captive exile is what we would call an oxymoron in English because you're either captive or you're exiled, aren't you? But, but isn't it strange how captive exile felt like how we, have, we were in lockdown? We were exiled from normality, from coming to church, from going to the shops, but we were captive in our own homes. And we were hastening that we may be set free. And it says that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. Well, let me tell you something right now. We're seeing that. Supermarket shortages. Food shortages. Fuel shortages. So he's saying there's an environment of fear here. This is the Lord saying you're living in an environment and a culture of fear. That's us, brothers and sisters, the last couple of years. And that includes Christians, sadly. But I am Yahweh, your God. 
who divided the sea whose waves roared. Yahweh Shaboth, that's his name, the Lord of Heaven's armies is his name. And I have put, and this is, this is what I want us to see, I have put my words in your mouth. What's God's answer to the fear culture? Here it is. I've put my words in your mouth. And I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. And that is a metaphor for the power of God or the Holy Ghost. Okay, he is the power. If you don't have the Holy Ghost power, you don't have, any, you don't have power. Amen? So I've given you my word. I've put it in your mouth. I've covered you. I've enveloped you. I've engulfed you in the shadow of my hand, the Holy Ghost, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, and brothers and sisters, you're sitting here today, you're Zion, you are my people. Now, listen to this. God's answer is the Word, God's answer is the Spirit, and God's answer is that I've equipped you to plant the heavens. And that's what I want to speak about today. Planting the heavens. Lay the foundation of the earth. In other words, start again. See, when you lay foundations, you're starting again. Amen? And to, in order to start again, you have to dig up the old. You know, and, and I want to say this. I lament today. Because when we started this Arise Scotland group, we used to speak about that all the time. I don't hear much of that lately about the old wineskins and the new wineskins. Brothers and sisters, God wants new wineskins to hold the new wine. And that's what he's saying here. They're going to be new wineskins. We're not going back to normal. Normal was a, an illusion anyway. But business as usual is over. We're not going back to, oh, once we get back to how church was, it ain't ever going to be that way. And you know, uh, we're, we've been discuss, discussing this um, uh, as leaders and so on, and it says a lot of the, the, the data and stuff that's coming through, maybe about two-thirds of people in some churches are not coming back to church. And, and the, the, the penny has dropped. They ain't ever coming back to church. Okay? Because maybe they choose to be Zoomers. If you don't go to church, you're a Zoomer anyway, whether you go and Zoom or not. That's just a bit of, gla- That's just a bit of Glasgow language, amen? Yeah, funny. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is when you see the day approaching. So when you, you think, oh, we're in the end times, pastor, we're in the end times, brother, we're in the end times, sister. Let me tell you this, if you're in the end times, that's the time to go to church. And I don't mean in Zoom. And I don't mean online. Not, nothing wrong with these things. But that's not a substitute for the physical appearing and presence of yourself. Because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but it's hard to send an anointing across the internet. Or a lot harder or a lot less effective than standing in church and carrying the Shekinah glory of God in your being. Absolutely. Anyway, so what I want to speak about today is planting the heavens. And, and I'm going to ask the question, how do we do that? And you know, I believe that God has given us a strategy for that. I believe that God has given us a very... And when you see it, I, I'll tell you this. When I saw it, I was ashamed. Because we want some kind of super-duper, you know, uh, revelation that will just blow everybody's mind and all of that. 
but it's a very simple four, sorry, five-word instruction. There are five words that tell us how we can plant the heavens, which means planting the kingdom. And that word plant can mean establish. So how do we establish the kingdom in Scotland? How do we establish it in Cowdenbeath? How do we establish it in Govan? How do we establish it in uh, Cumbernauld and here in Glasgow and other places? How do we establish? How do we plant? How do we fulfill this? How do we plant the heavens and lay new foundations for a new society? Amen? How do we do that? I thought it was angels there. Recycle bins. Recycle bins. I've seen them. The place where they were assembled was shaken. Uh, anyway, praise God. So turn with me, first of all, to Revelation chapter 12. And, and I'm going to say this to you. I got the idea for a lot of this from this book from a lady called Anna Mendez Ferrell. And she and her husband have a fabulous ministry. She's written amazing, I mean amazing books. And her husband too. And I got this, this, this book is called Apocalypse. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it will change a lot of your thinking about these inverted commas end times. Amen? But, um, and, and this is where I got this idea because this is what I want to speak about today, but I'm going to just build into it. Revelation chapter 12, and it says here, watch this, and again, this is something we haven't spoken about for quite some time, okay? And in fact, I'm going to read this in the King James because the New King James doesn't really cover it properly. Yeah, in my, in my big four translation. Amen. <laughs> so, Revelation chapter 12, and it says, and we used to talk about this, remember the early days? And again, we've not been referring to these things. And I remember we had a meeting here, and someone came up to me afterward and said, What is this? Is this Kipling? They were talking about Mowgli. Anyway, I'm going to read it. Verse, verse, Revelation 12, sorry, verse 5. Speaking about the woman uh, who gave birth, it says, and verse 5, and she brought forth a man-child. And that person that came up to me says, is that Mowgli? Is that, is that Kipling? You know, speaking about the man-cub. Somebody who doesn't read, well, certainly doesn't read the King James. Amen? She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, we believe the man-child to be a corporate body of overcomers, a corporate Christ, the body of Christ. Amen? Which means that the authority of Jesus Christ is given to this man-child, which is the corporate Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's you and I. Now, not every Christian is going to walk in that man-child authority because I don't see a lot of ruling all nations with a rod of iron. But that's our calling. That's our anointing. That's our equipping. That's our empowering. And you're, you and I are going to be judged on whether or not we walked in that and to what extent we walked in that. Because I'll tell you what the problem of the nations are today. The problem of the nations, is the Bible identifies, is that leaders and rulers of the earth are trying to throw off 
the restraints placed upon them by Yahweh and his son. And his son is a corporate son as much as it is Jesus the head, it is us as his body. And if we're not doing our job, and we're not making the nations his footstool, then we're going to be seeing the environment, the culture, the society, the darkness that's out there. And you know, it says in Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, send your light has come. Because behold, there's darkness across the earth, and great darkness upon the people. And he says, but the Lord will arise upon you. And it tells us to arise. And this is a man-child arising. Caught up to the throne. Why are we caught up to the throne? So we can learn how to rule and govern. There's a little phrase that's used twice that I'm aware of in Scripture. Psalm 136 and also Isaiah 51. And it says, He causes vapors to rise from the ends of the earth. He causes vapors to arise from the ends of the earth. And, and that's, that, that ought to electrify us because the word vapors in Hebrew means chiefs, rulers, captains, and kings. He causes the man-child company of king-priests in the Melchizedek, try saying that word, Melchizedek order. He causes them to arise from the ends of the earth. What's the ends of the earth? Scotland. Hallelujah. Amen. In this dear land. Set Scotland now in fire. Why? Because Scotland is the ends of the earth. Arise, Scotland. So, it's a prophetic word. We were up Shahali the other day, a, a team of us, a remnant team, and that, this is what we were doing. We were arising. Didn't climb that far. And decreeing the lordship of Christ over Scotland. Now, we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to climb Chihaldian to do that, or Mount Zion, as we prefer to call it. We didn't have to do that. But it was good to do. In that place, which is the great geographical centre of Scotland. Because the Bible says, the king priests will arise from the ends of the earth. The chiefs, the captains. Now, we're not saying that in a haughty, well, you're called to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. We're not saying that in a haughty. We don't have to be haughty. The Bible says it's God's idea. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 4, because this is where I want to go with this. Uh, in fact, yep. Sorry, keep your, keep your finger in Revelation 4. In fact, we'll just go there. Sorry, my, my apologies. I'm trying to put this in the right order. It says here, Revelation 4, the heading from the chapter in my Bible is the throne room of heaven. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. The throne room of heaven is where it's at. Yeah. Everywhere else is lesser. Yes. That's why we're not called to live from the earth. We're living on earth, but we don't live from earth. 
We were speaking about that in the vestry, weren't we? Having a laugh about it. But it's no laughing matter. Because we're called to live from above. Set your mind on things above. Set your affection on things above. Where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Do you know the New Testament emphasis? If there's one singular theme in the New Testament, it's Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And the apostles, the disciples, and those who wrote the New Testament, they wanted us to see that because what they were saying was, everything comes from that reality. And you know, the Bible even says that, 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 that uh, the, 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 the earth will flee from the face of, of the Lord yeah. as he's seated on the throne. Everything in existence comes from that place. And let me just say this to you. You and I are meant to live there, and we'll see this. Look, Revelation chapter 4, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. If you hear nothing else, brothers and sisters, hear these three words, come up here. They're not the five words I want to share with you, I'll get to them. But they are, you need to do this, come up here. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Around the throne were 24 thrones. This is symbolic of you and I. The 24 is a symbolic number of the eternal church. The eternal ecclesia. What it's saying here is that, and there's obviously more than 24, literally in a sense, if we all have our own throne, if that makes sense. But the 24 is symbolic of perfect government, but it's all around the one who sits on the throne. And then it says, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, and the 24 elders again are symbolic um, I believe not of every Christian, but every Christian in potential, but every Christian who is an overcomer. Because it says, to him that overcometh, I will grant you sit with me in my throne. I don't know there's a promise for the, the quitters yeah. and the fearful and the, the weak Christians who choose weakness. We're all weak in that respect, yeah? We're, we don't claim to be. But I'm talking about Christians who... Half in, half out. So the 24 elders are symbolic of the overcoming company, the man-child. Clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold in their heads. And, and I want to emphasize this. There's 24 elders. 24 is the number of perfect government. Elders manifest the character of God. God is called the Ancient of Days. And, and elders reflect that. If you read Daniel chapter 7, we don't have time, but God is called the Ancient of Days. And there's something about an elder that carries that. Amen? And we're not necessarily talking about, although the, the, the Greek word, which we'll look, look at, the Greek word does carry the, the uh, meaning of age. But maturity, spiritual maturity, and I was uh, speaking on this the other day, spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity is not linked to physical age. You can be very mature. I've shared this before, I think, 
Watchman Nee wrote The Spiritual Man, one of the deeply spiritual books you'll ever read. It's only two or three years saved. Only a few years saved. Because you can mature. What, what causes you to mature? You mature as in you, you seem to be growing spiritually because of hunger and revelation knowledge. You can stuff your head full of uh, data, facts, all the plants of the Bible, all the animals of the Bible. You can do all that. It doesn't have one ounce of spiritual worth. You know, if you're an egghead, you're an egghead, but you're of no use or value to the kingdom. It's good to have these things, but you combine it with revelation knowledge. So spiritual knowledge, revelation knowledge, um, and that's what matures you. So, uh, I'm going to skip some of this out because we don't really have the time. I want to get into other things. 24 is a symbolic number representing those mature saints ruling and reigning as the man-child. Oh, in fact, the Lord just uh, told me we didn't to look at this. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. Sorry. Daniel chapter 7. We'll, we'll, we'll get what we need to see from that. Verse 9 and 10. Uh, it says here, watch this. I watched, and, and, and that's why the Lord told me to do this. I watched, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place. You see, thrones are important to God. And if you are in his image and likeness, and you are as he is in this world, then, then you've got a throne, and you've got a kingdom, and you've got dominion, and you have a throne room ministry. Still not got to the strategy. We'll get there. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, just like the 24 elders, yeah? yeah? The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Remember this throne, the elders' thrones are around it. A thousand thousands ministered to him ten thousand times. Ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. The court was seated. Now, let me just say this to you. The elders aren't standing. Amen? Because it says, on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. The overcomers don't, don't stand. Amen? And then it says in verse uh, Daniel, still in, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 22 says, uh, let me just read this, sorry, get my glasses. It says, the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. I want to ask you, are you a saint of God today? And are you possessing the kingdom? Are you walking in dominion? Are you functioning as one of these 24 elders, which is a symbolic figure, the overcomer company, the man-child, who will rule all nations with the rod of iron? Because if you're not, it's time to press in toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
I don't think there's a low calling, but I know that there's a high calling. Revelation chapter 20. And it says here. Again, look at this, how similar this is to the Daniel language. Revelation 20 verse 4. I saw thrones. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Amen? I saw thrones. They sat on them. Who sat on them? Well, the elders, the overcomers. So this is a big theme. Ruling and reigning with him is a big thing. And let me tell you right now, you'll never plant the heavens and lay the foundations of a new earth unless you're seated on your throne, on the throne with him and his throne. And that'll bring us to, very nicely to, in fact, let's just, before we do it, Revelation chapter 5. Twenty-four is a symbolic number representing those matured saints ruling and reigning as the man-child, Christ's corporate body of overcomers. These come from every nation and city in the world. Revelation chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. I'm looking at a bit of scripture, but it's important. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy, this is the Lord, of course, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen? Not in heaven. Not in the sweet by and by. You know, I like... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to go there. But there is a certain... Uh, singing group I quite like but all they ever sing, sing about is when we all get to heaven it's all going to be glory over there over in the glory land all that stuff but it's none of it is ruling and reigning here I've got a mansion over the hilltop I've got a little cabin in the glory land nice sentiments spiritual junk amen if we're not ruling and reigning here, then we need to get born again. Amen? Because that is our calling. Now, let's go to the strategy because, it, because I've held it back long enough. Go to Titus, please. And again, I, I want to say that I'm indebted to Anna mendez Ferrell for pointing this out. And I'm going to read some of the stuff that she put in this book. Absolutely wonderful. Because there is a kingdom strategy. How, how are we going to plant the heavens? How are we going to lay the foundations of a new earth, which means to heavenize the earth? Which means to bring kingdom culture to earth. You know, I was sparked big time, triggered, fired up, whatever, listening to Bert speak last week about this. And I've got to say this to you, I believe the Lord is saying to us, this is the direction to go in as a, as a meeting, as a, a movement, a group, whatever we are, because it's about the kingdom. Amen. It's not about sentiment. It's not about, it's not about church. But church is part of it. But if we are not planting the heavens. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God in Scotland. Let me tell you. We are wasting our time. 
And I, and I don't say that lightly. We have to be people who plant the heavens. Titus chapter 1. It says, Paul, a bond servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Somebody asked me a while back, a couple of weeks back, uh, is there I Scotland a prayer meeting? And, I, and, and, and the Lord was challenging me. Because, and, and we, we've had times of prayer, and we will always have times of prayer where we respond to the word. But it's almost as if the Lord is, keeps keeping us away from being a prayer meeting. <coughs> and has from the very inception of this. Am I right? And that's not to say we won't engage in prayer. It's not to say that maybe we won't have meetings that are prayer meetings. Prayer meetings are wonderful. I believe in them. But God manifests his word through preaching. And I don't know about you, I want to see his word manifest. Yeah. Which means his promise, his covenant. All of the things that he said in his word, they're manifested through preaching. That's why we are a preaching meeting. That's why we have speakers every week, or a speaker every week. Which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. To Titus, a true son, in our common faith, that, that's, that's a cool name, isn't it? Titus. Who'd like to be called Titus? Mm -hmm. Amen. Titus. Grace, mercy, and peace from God are the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. This is where this is where this is the divine strategy. This is what God is saying. This is how you plant the kingdom. This is how you plant the heavens. This is how you lay foundations. Here it is. Are you ready? It's not complicated. It's not a 12-point plan. You don't have to go to a seminar. And, and sit through, you know, 12 sessions of, this is it, listen to this. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Appoint elders in every city. Appoint elders in every city. That's the divine strategy. And, and let me just say this to you, We've lost that. Yes. We've lost it. Because first of all, we don't even know what an elder is. We think it's the guy that hands you the hymn book as you come in with his nice grey suit and shirt and tie. Yeah? We think it's the guy that goes round with the bag and lifts up an offering. Don't we? We think it's, it's the guy that, that greets you as you come in the door. Good morning. How are you? Please take your seat. You ever been in a church like that, full of elders? I have. And they're all good folks, and they're all nice people. And they all dress smartly. And you know, when, when you have the, the thing in the Church of Scotland, when, when they all go up and sit on the platform, there's often more elders than there are congregation. Am I right? But they're all well scrubbed up, and they all look the part, don't they? And, and, and or, or our apostolic tradition, Stevie and I, uh, elders were just... Uh, guys who didn't go to Bible school. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't pass the pastor's exam, am I right? But, but they could preach a little, they could open up the church, they could lead a meeting when the pastor wasn't there. They were assisting the pastor. Well, that's all churchianity. Yeah. And Anna Mendes Farrell says in this book, 
Understanding the place of elders is key in the kingdom of God. And I believe that. You see, we have a comprehension when we hear the word elders to think of them as a, a group of leaders under a senior pastor. Or, like I said, handing out him books and looking good. But this falls far short of the intended function of elders. And what I believe is uh, what the Lord wants to show us today. And it's the strategy. It's the key. Now, I will say this. If you read on in Titus, he then speaks about the elders' task and how they qualify because the Greek word for elder, presbyter, presbyteros, or presbyter in English, um, he then speaks about bishops and overseers. And it's quite clear that they're one and the same. Yeah. Amen? So in other words, you don't promote someone to be an overseer or a leader unless they're an elder. And again, elder is not necessarily, well, you have to be a certain age, you have to have grey hair, or you have to be, have no hair. You understand? It's about maturity. But we're going to look at it a little bit deeper. So, Anna mendez Ferrell says this, Elders are the key component to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. You notice he didn't say plant churches in every city. Have a fellowship in every city. He says, appoint elders. So if you said to, as, uh, today, there's a town, there's a village, there's a city, and we were doing God's kingdom strategy, we would be saying, could we plant a church over there? Could we rent a hall? Could we meet in someone's house? The first thing we'd be saying is, Where's the elders? And when we understand what elders are, you'll understand why. Okay? And we're going to look at that in the time that we've got left. So, elders are the key component to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. As Paul established churches during his traveling, he assigned elders over the cities, and this is what she says, and not pastors over congregations. He didn't say, she didn't say appoint elders in every church. Do you see that? Yes. Elders are over the city. If you're an elder, and that includes if you're an overseer, a pastor, a leader, or sort of someone who has leadership in the church, uh, episcopi, I don't think I've said that right. Episcopalian is, is the word we get from that. It means oversight or, or, or a bishopric, a leader in the church, in other words. If you have that function, you're not just called to that function in the four walls of church or in the congregation or in the assembly of saints. You're called to that in the territorial region or area that you live in or that you function in as an overseer or an elder. So if you're an elder in, in a church in Glasgow, and I'm not talking again about Church of Scotland elders, I'm talking about if you're appointed or ordained an elder in the true ecclesia of God, you have oversight not just of the saints, but of the region and territory. And that is how you plant the kingdom. You understand that you have, in a sense, a dual role. And, and when, when I've been teaching Bible college, Margaret will testify to this. We, we have a module about 
invading the seven kingdoms. So you're not just an elder in the church mountain, which means you're not just a, you don't just have oversight in the church mountain, you have oversight of the area or territory or sphere. We're talking about sphere authority. So that you have that in the territory. You have it over the business mountain, over the education mountain. You have, in other words, you're an elder, a leader, you're God's ambassador. Not just in the four walls of church, but to touch society and culture around you and reculture that society, heavenize that society, and be somebody who is an influence, salt and light in your community. He causes vapors to rise. He causes chiefs to rise, kings to rise, captains to rise. He causes presbyters to arise. We know that the elders had an oversight function in the churches. Here in Titus, the verses following verse 5 show us this, that these elders are also bishops. King James is, is the language for that, or overseers. Which means overseers, of course. According to Anna Mendez Ferrell, there is a strong case to be made that we have mistakenly limited these leaders to a role inside the four walls of church, while God's purpose is far wider in scope and strategic in implementation. Amen? Amen. And if you hide in the four walls of church, even just as a Christian and not an elder, not a leader, then you're not being salt and light. And you're not ruling and reigning. And of course, Ecclesia is the governmental assembly. Do we think that God chose that name, Jesus chose that name, just because it sounded good, that's a great wee word, that Ecclesia. Why don't we just call it an Ecclesia? No, he, he meant governmental assembly. He meant that it had a civic function. Because he didn't choose a religious, spiritual term. He chose... A, a secular term, a civic term. And then she goes on to say, elders have a burden and a comprehension about their city and also about their God-given authority to rule over it alongside other elders. We didn't climb Shahali the other day to have a party, a sing-song, happy-clappy, bring our tambourines. We did it to exercise authority in the very very centre, geographic centre of Scotland. And then she says, they don't think in terms of my congregation or my network, but in terms of God's kingdom being established. Isn't that what Bert said last week? It's not about church. It's not about, oh, well, my church, our church. It's about the kingdom. If we're not kingdom-minded, then we will be an ineffective church. It says, God's kingdom being established in every area of society within the city, and how they are the ones responsible to make it happen as a team. Are we meeting together as Arise Scotland to have a religious meeting, sing a few hymns, throw up a few prayers, hear a good message? Or are we meeting to change, to transform society, to, to transform Scotland? Are we meeting to pray, prepare and position for God to move, not just to bring about a spiritual awakening, but to bring about... The heavens being planted in Scotland and a whole new foundation of society. 
Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10 says, of course, we shall reign on the earth. Elders have a function beyond their traditional church role. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Appoint elders in every city. We have to accept elders have a function beyond their traditional church role. Churchianity does not define what elders are. God does. I believe this woman's locked on to something here. Amen. And it's, it's about your function. And it's not just about, oh, well, that's okay. That's, it's still the job of the leaders. I'm okay. It's leaders that need to do all this. I'll just hide. We're all called to do. We're all called to leadership, actually. It's a whole different message. Elders are overcomers over Babylon. They have been promoted in position to be constantly around the throne. The 24 elders which represent the overcomers on earth and in heaven, agreed, the cloud of witnesses, whether you've got a body or without one, then they are closely linked to the throne. They don't go out the throne room. If you go out the throne room, you're not an elder. They're always around the throne. If you go out the throne room, you're not an effective believer. This gives them position and perspective to rule over the earth. How do you rule over the earth? By hearing what God's saying. How do you hear what God's saying? Because you're that close. You don't have to shout. You hear his whisper. Say this. Decree this. Pray this. Ask me to do this. Proclaim this. Declare this. And you just need to lean over and say, say this. And when you say it, it's like thunders across the universe. Because you're saying it from a place where your voice is amplified. Amen? Elders are in agreement with, and watch this, and function, and we didn't really look at this because you get it in Revelation 4 and, and 5, which is the four living creatures, so the elders are in agreement with and function with the four living creatures, which are cherubim. And, you know, cherubim aren't these wee cute, cuddly, you know, fat-looking babies with wings. They are mighty, mighty creatures. And elders work with them. And are aligned with them. And in agreement with them. And they're also in the throne room. See, the throne room's where it's at. Anywhere else is just playing games. Anywhere else, you, quite frankly, anywhere else in a, is darkness. You know, if you're in the Holy of Holies with the Shekinah glory, you don't want to be out in the outer courts or even <coughs> beyond the outer courts, do you? I mean, the outer courts might be wonderful, I'm in the temple, but that's not the action. The action's above the mercy seat. The cherubim and the elders emphasize at all times the headship, sovereignty, and the glory of God. Now, let's, let's just close this off by, what's an elder then? What does that mean? If it's not the guy in the, the grey suit, in the nice tie, in the shiny shoes, that says, good morning to you, please take your seat. If it's not that, what is it? Well, Strong tells us that, of course, the, the word is presbyteros, the English word is presbyter, and it's from the Greek presbys, which means an old guy or someone of senior age, an elderly man or an elderly woman, because there is a, a feminine to this as well. 
an older person, a senior, specifically. Now watch this, we'll, we'll, we'll just touch on this, then we'll come back to it. An Israelite Sanhedrist. Because the Sanhedrin elders, we'll come to that in a minute. Or, and I like this one, a member of the Celestial Council, or the Heavenly Council, which I've just looked at, the 24 elders, the Celestial Council. And it's just like what Bert was saying. The council is not some, it's not like, you know, the council. <laughs> it means governmental assembly. It means the Senate, in a sense. It means the place where decisions are made, uh, laws are created, or laws are enforced, or laws are uh, emphasized, yeah? Judgments are made. And it's the elders that make them. W. Vine says it's, it speaks about rank or positions of responsibility. Heads or leaders of tribes and families. Overseers of churches, of course, episcopi. And that's what I want to talk about, just to finish this off, because this is where we get this. This is why you understand why God says appoint elders in every city as his means of planting the kingdom, as his means of saying we're changing, changing things up. We call, we call it the Ecclesia, and that's, I think the Ecclesia, in a sense, is the earthly term maybe for it, or how we recognise it. Oh, there's an Ecclesia over there. There's a meeting of God's people over there. Yeah? Um, I, I, but we call it church, and it's really, a lot of times, it's just a, a holy huddle. But the Lord's been teaching us. E Ecclesia is about governance. We're looking at the kingdom strategy for governance. And this is, this is, this will close with us. The Sanhedrin were assemblies of elders. Same Greek word for elders that, that Jesus spoke with Sanhedrin elders or Jewish elders as is used for elders in the church. Because there's a secret to the Sanhedrin that I think has been hidden because all we've done this, elders hand out the hymn books, elders show you to your seat. That type of idea of elders. We've missed what God intended. And I think this lady, and bless her for it, has brought this out. Uh, particularly in that book. This is what God meant by elders in every city. Okay? It's not just, you know, guys that have that go 12 weeks in a row so they're made an elder. Or, um, you know, he can help the church because he's got a business uh, and he'll, he'll, he'll give a big tithe so we'll make him an elder. The Sanhedrin were assemblies of elders. There were two Sanhedrins. There was the great Sanhedrin and that sat in Jerusalem, and that was comprised of 71 elders. We would call it the Supreme Court. But there were lesser Sanhedrins. And here's, here's, this is where the Lord knows what he's doing. You see, appoint elders in every city, appoint elders in every city, appoint elders in every city. The lesser Sanhedrins were in each city. And they were 23 judges or elders picked out of the... Population, elders, wise men, men of substance. I don't just mean wealth, I mean, 
You know, they, they had something about them. They had wisdom. They had experience. And they were picked as judges. So Sanhedrins would meet in every city in Israel. But there was only one great Sanhedrin, but there were lesser Sanhedrins. And they had 23. And it comes from the Greek word Sanhedrion. And guess what that means? Sitting together. Sitting together. What is the Bible saying in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6? About you and I. You're seated together. You're sitting together with him in heavenly places. You're an elder. Now, here's why this only really applies to mature saints. is because immature saints and casual saints and people who are loosey-goosey, they're, they're not even aware of this, so they're not functioning. There's a seat there for them, but you know, there's a seat here for many people. They're not here this morning. So they're not hearing this wonderful message and this glorious preaching. Or is that the other way? Glorious preaching and wonderful message. Just because you have a seat doesn't mean to say that you're going to sit in it. But if you are sitting in it, you're part of he who is seated together with him in heavenly places. Yes. Do you know, entire groups of people have led Christian lives for decades and never realized that they had authority because they were seated together with him in heavenly places. They've maybe read it thousands of times. But until it's revealed. You see, if it's not revealed, it's not knowledge that you can function in or walk in. But the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, are people who are elders sitting together in the place of authority. The word actually means assembly, just like Ecclesia does. The Sanhedrin was, if you like, the, 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 the prototype of what Ecclesia is. But listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. This is so important. The Sanhedrin didn't meet to discuss who's going to hand out the hymn books this week. Or who's going to put up the sign and the notice board? They met for civic matters. They met for matters of civic government. They met to settle disputes between people. They met to make judgments in the civic realm. They spoke into what we would call the secular. I don't even believe in secular. There's no such thing as secular. But we've made it so because of our following that Greek dualist mindset stuff, yeah? But what they, they didn't meet just for spiritual or religious, we'd call it, stuff. They met because they had authority in the civic realm. They had authority over society and culture. Here's an interesting thing. The Sanhedrin had power over lesser courts. The Sanhedrin had authority over lesser courts because they did have that dimension. There was that dual function in a sense that they had, a, they had spiritual authority, but they also had authority in the civic realm. Brothers and sisters appoint elders in every city. That's God's strategy. He's saying that what we rule in an ecclesia of God, a true ecclesia, will have authority over lesser courts. You have authority today over Nicola Sturgeon. You have authority today over Boris Johnson. You have authority today over Westminster. You have authority today over Holyrood. Thank God you have authority over that bunch of rascals down in Glasgow City Council. You have authority. How do we exercise it? By making decrees. 
Okay? It's not our job to go down there with pitchforks and rifles and set up a militia. That's not our job. Our authority comes, I've put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. You make decrees, you speak my word, you speak forth my purpose in Scotland, in Glasgow, wherever, and you'll see it come to pass. I'll topple who needs to be toppled. I'll replace them who, who I've called to replace them. I'll change it if you speak it. Why? I point people who understand that in every city. I point Sanhedrins in every city. I point ecclesias or, or those who lead them in every city. Do you understand? We have a divine strategy. And here's, here's I'll just I'll finish with this. The Sanhedrin had powers over lesser courts. They had powers that lesser courts did not have, and here's what they could do. And we'll close with this. The Sanhedrin had power to put on trial the king. The Sanhedrin could summon the king and say, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. They had that power. Lesser courts didn't. You and I have. Because he's made us kings and priests. See, if we weren't kings and priests, we couldn't do that. Because we're of a higher order. We're we're Melchizedek order. And we can summon kings into the throne room of God, into the courts of God, and say, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, Mr. Johnson. Ms. Sturgeon. Or whoever. And it's always, well, it's, it's, it's it's a spiritual thing. Yes, it is. But it has far more power than the physical realm. Because you can speak them out of office. That's why they fear us. And that's why they fear our assembling. And what what does assemble mean? Assembly mean Sanhedrin. They fear our courts. They fear the ecclesia. They fear the elders. They might not understand that fully, but at a deeper level. And the ones among them that know this, and there are some, They know that when the saints of God get together and start proclaiming stuff, that stuff happens. Why? Because we have elders in every city. It's no accident that churches are down in attendance. It's no accident because they closed us. Because they didn't want the elders meeting. They didn't want the Sanhedrin meeting. They didn't want the assembly of kings and priests making decrees. You know, you can, you can, I'll share this and I'll close it. That's it. I stood in this pulpit last Sunday night and I named two men, billionaires, merchants of the earth. And I said, God's going to bring them down. And as I was saying it, the Lord said this to me. See Mark Zuckerberg's name and put him in that. So I obeyed the Lord. I said, and Zuckerberg's coming down too. In less than 24 hours, Facebook was down. And he lost billions. And Facebook lost a lot of money. Now, was it the complete fulfillment of what I said? No. But it was a prophetic indicator and sign of what God's purpose. And now, it's not a personal thing. I use Facebook, like some of you guys do. But here's the thing, is that I wasn't standing up, thus saith the Lord, you know, I decree in the council of, I just said it in my preaching. 
But what comes out of our mouth is the game changer in the nations. So be very careful what you say. And speak only those things that God wants us to say. Anyway, folks, we're at the end of this. The Lord bless you. And I hope that's been a blessing to you. I think that deserves a clap.